Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I guess I grew up on an older road. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 129 of the Hunting Collective. I'm Ben O'Brien. I'm joined by Phil the Engineer. Phil! Ben! How's it going, buddy? It's going all right. Well, I'm excited today. Today's a, a, a good podcast. We've got some of my favorite people on, um, some of the most inspiring people that I know on. You know, we are very well, Phil and I are very well aware of the unrest going on in the world, and we'll hope to address some of those things. Today, but one of the big uh, updates we got to give is Phil and I are allowed to be in the same room once again. Yes, I think uh, I don't think they want us to be in the same room. Yeah, but we we <laughs> Phil had to we fight. Didn't, we didn't give them a choice. Phil had to fight to get in the same room. <laughs> That's, That's right. how much he missed me. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, I'm back in the office pretty much full time, and but Phil is being kept away. That's that's true. Uh, we'll have to talk to HR about that, but I fully support you coming back to work, buddy. Oh, thank you. Are you like most people in our company? I think most companies and most people that have kids the age of our kids really want to come back to work. Mm-hmm. Really are valuing that office time. You yeah, feel, you feeling that there, Phil? Man, like a month ago, I just noticed my my patience meter. It's it's been dropping. Yeah. And then I had to take a step back and I'm like, am I a bad person? Am I a bad father? No. No, you're not. <laughs> uh, maybe like I'll, we'll have to bring in Mango to, yeah. okay. to, to see. But I, I feel I feel like that's only natural. It's only natural to feel guilty about those feelings as well. So it's just everybody's going through them, Thanks, especially man. those that have been home with their kids and are not used to that. Um, but we're we're back in the studio. We'll do better than last week. I felt like we were just a little bit uncomfortable being around each other, Phil, last week. We didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, we forgot how to interact. Yeah, yeah physically. I, so, yeah. I don't know to look a person in the eye. I don't know uh-huh. what that even feels like anymore. Um, but you look great. You look great. You been working out during the quarantine? You know, I did that thing that I do every single year where the weather starts to turn, and I'm, and I'm like, I'm going to start running. And then I run exactly three times, Yep. and then I stop. 
Oh, well, that's a good tradition. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a wonderful tradition. I've started recently. I will admit this. I'm going to get shit for it, I know, but I, I started yoga. I Yeah, I that's something I'm I'm interested in, too. Yeah, dude, I'm, it's great. I feel so stretched out. Mm-hmm. I feel like Gumby walking around this son of a bitch. No, it does sound uh, great. Oh, it's great, dude. It's just the <laughs> hips, like my hips. I don't know what was wrong with them before, but now they're fixed. Uh, <laughs> feels great, man. Um, so everybody out there, Feel free to make fun of me at thcatthemediator.com or at bennyob301 about my beginning uh, yoga. I'm just doing it at home, and my kid does it with me, so it's super cute, I promise. Mm-hmm. He's doing the moves. I'm doing the moves. He's laughing. I'm laughing. It's great. You'll trust me. Um, I just feel the skepticism coming from the audience right now. But we got a couple of emails to get to, then we're going to give uh, my good friend and everyone's good friend, Charles Rodney, a call and talk to him about the goings-on, his perspective on um, – our, the current situation and his life story, because his life story is about as interesting and uh, as anything that I've heard. Those of you that have listened to this podcast know Charles the Rabbit Man Rodney is a rabbit hunter. There's so much more to know about him. So we're going to talk to him about that here in a minute. And then we're going to get to Matt Best, one of the co-founders of Black Rifle Coffee, former uh, United States Army Ranger. And then his good buddy and my good buddy, former guest of the show, Omar Crispy Avila, who was a sergeant and is also a recipient of the Purple Heart and the Combat Infantry Badge, among other things. That conversation particularly uh, was interesting to me because I didn't do very well, Phil, with Matt and Omar. Yeah. I felt. I haven't listened back to it. I haven't had time. But I felt like these two individuals were so incredibly positive amidst, you know, what is some terrible things happening in our na- in our nation. I thought the questions I were, was asking them, I felt like had a bit of a negative connotation or was looking to get into these sticky situations. And both of them to a T were eloquent, honest, and positive about everything that I asked them. And they kept they kept just returning to, hey, look, there are some of the things, some of the more negative things that are spun up right now just aren't a reality for me. And I thought that was pretty inspirational. So hopefully you guys stick around for Matt and for Omar. Um, and I will just just issue a brief apology to them for sucking at interviewing <laughs> during this. So you can listen to listen to the interview, knowing that I feel I didn't do a great job, and I felt they knocked it out of the park. So so uh, enjoy that. But before we get to that, we got some emails. Phil, you ready for some emails? Yeah, uh, we got I think two fun ones and one not fun one. Like okay. The, the third one is so not fun that I'm nervous to even approach it. But hey, that's what makes. THC, THC. So the first one, have you heard about how they're going to do uh, Elmer Fudd without a gun, Phil? Uh, no. What's he going to have? Uh, well, he's going to have uh, a scythe. You know what that is? I was trying to make sure I, I do. Yes. Is that how you pronounce it? Because I've used one. I used one on the back 40. You can see it in the film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're originally created to help, uh, you know, clear, clear greenery and clear fields. But, you know, if you want to, if you don't know what it is, still picture when you picture the Grim Reaper. That is the the, the quote unquote. I'm, I almost call it a weapon, but it wasn't created as a weapon. It's a tool. Yeah, but it's like a it's a, a large staff with a long curved blade at the end. Yes, it doesn't really matter what he's using. The fact that he's not using a, his 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 traditional gun is what matters. So Joe Celentano, I got that right. Celentano, that feels good. Uh, he says, "I'm guessing a hundred or other people will have or already have sent you this." That's true, Joe. They uh, everybody sent this to me. But it's crazy to think that a scythe will be taking the place of Elmer Fudd's gun in the name of stopping gun violence. 
Obviously, Elmer Fudd has always been and made a huge exaggeration to the misconceptions about hunting, but now using an instrument that isn't even for hunting would seem to make the act less humane. Regardless, I'll still probably watch it with my two-year-old and enjoy it as I did with the child. He said, thanks for tackling the uncomfortable topics. Uh, No problem. I love it. Uh, Man, listen, I'm not real sure. um, I want to read up on this. I'm not real sure what to say about this, but it is, um, I just got done recording next week's podcast that is uh, talking about the culture war a little bit. We talk about this with Matt and Omar a little bit as well, but I think this is just just another symptom of, of a lot of people are fighting to remove certain things from our culture. And this is a silly one. And we like to talk I, about I, the silly I'm ones. in full support mostly because I think the image of Elmer Fudd just wrecking shop with a scythe sounds yeah. hardcore as hell. And I'm, yep. I'm game. Uh, I'll just read from Fox News here. Uh, I bet that just triggered a few people. Elmer Fudd has made a big change for the newest series of Looney Tunes cartoons. And the latest update of the series called Looney Tunes Cartoons. Wow. And streaming on HBO Max, the iconic character will no longer use a gun according to the people behind the show. Here's my favorite quote of all time. We're not doing guns, executive producer Peter Browngard told New York Times, but we can do cartoony violence. TNT, the Acme stuff. All that was kind of grandfathered in. Slow clap. Well, listen, honestly, I think... Peter! (laughs) Don't interrupt me, Phil! (laughs) Hollywood, you full of just idiots. Go ahead, Phil. You're going to support... This fella. I think hunters should be happy with this change because like like uh, the email said, Elmer Fudd has been portrayed as like a dope his enti- the entire lifespan of the character running around with his gun like, you know, just shooting willy-nilly, using it incorrectly. And he's, you know, if, if and he's made hunters look stupid for decades. And now he's he's not even really a hunter anymore. He's, there's a, yeah, he's there's like a, a clip here. There's a, yeah, there's a clip here of where he, he's wearing the exact same clothes, right? The exact yeah, same sure. stereotypical setup. They just like swapped it out. Uh, it seems more immediately dangerous that he would be, and then just gruesome that he would be chasing him around oh, yeah. with a blade like Like this. I said, it sounds, that sounds great. <laughs> Hollywood, Hollywood, you're full of just nonsense. Just nonsense. And I really, it keeps this show entertaining. So keep it up. Um, and as we, you know, as we, as we, Phil, we're going to look at the culture wars on this show. And as we do that, uh, it's, it's important to keep in mind that much of the culture wars in America is dumb and, and really just idiotic. And this is, this is one of them. People are trying to change people's minds in the dumbest way possible. And I will, if I watch this, I will watch it while eating an Impossible Burger and marveling at how it bleeds. Picking me up? I'm not. I'm not going over me up. for this event. You're not. Okay, you're not going over. You're not coming over this event at all. All no. right. Well, we're moving on. Um, I hope, as as a um, as a pro shotgun to rabbit, as it's it's nice that we'll ask Charles when he comes on what he thinks about this. But as a pro shotgun used for killing rabbits guy, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. But uh, thanks, Joe, for writing in, and, and thanks to the other 300 people that wrote in to let me know that this was going on. The next email comes from Corey. What, what's wrong with these people's names? Did anybody listen to this podcast whose name is Jones? S C H E I P. S C H E I P. Shipey? Shipa? Shipe. Shipe. We'll go with, we'll go with Corey Shipe. Uh, he says, Hi, Ben. I was on a. What is that? I was on a bike packing trip. I don't know what that is. Do you know what that is? Nope. Bike packing? Were you packing the bike around? 
Well, I think it's like backpacking, but with a bike. So you probably ride out into the mountains, and then you sleep, and then you ride out some more. Sounds good. Whatever you guys want to do. I think it sounds fun. Yeah, it sounds great. I was on a bike packing trip this weekend in um, uh, North Carolina, a couple of national forests. We festooned our bicycles with camping and fly fishing gear and headed out for a short overnighter. It was great fun. We explored new country, and the weather was beautiful. On the way to our meeting spot for the trip, I listened to THC number 125 with Miles Nolte, and I believe it was Miles who suggested River Rocks for natural teepee. Now, if you don't know, this is in the context of, you know, really what has defined the Meat Eater brand and Phil's first crap in the woods. Are you still feeling the the shine off that story? Uh, yeah, I've, I've got something to add after these emails regarding that, but continue. Oh, you haven't... Oh, that's that's a lot of suspense. Also, I got to tell the time I crap my pants, but we'll just do that next. No, episode. hold on. I feel like I'm setting this up for something big. It's not. Uh, friend of the show, former guest Eric Hall, sent me a book. He <laughs> did <laughs> called "How to Shit in the Woods." So, big yes. shout out to to Eric Hall. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, sir. Thanks, thanks, buddy. You're. Uh, <laughs> we still want to have you over for Thanksgiving and Christmas. We love you, but we getting back to Corey here. Corey says. Uh, he wants to give us a suggestion. He said, I tried this today and have, I have got to say, while it may work, if you are on the East Coast and particularly in the Appalachian Mountains, I must urge you to toss the rocks aside and find some rhododendron. Didn't, th- didn't see that coming. Find no. some rhododendron. Particularly, this is a rhododendron maximum, not to be confused with a near lookalike, but much smaller leafed mountain laurel that is ubiquitous in these forests. I've highlighted rotos, as he calls them, top three qualities for wiping your ass. One, large surface area and suitable shape. Two, waxy coating and thick leaves for durability and minimal pass-through. So far. Minimal pass-through. I'm going to start growing rhododendrons <laughs> in my backyard. <laughs> Three, high leaf density means A, ready reload, and B, thick cover to protect the, le- the eyes and snouts of passers-by. Cue Phil and the Curious Dog. Uh, please pass this along. Thanks for the fantastic show. Now, but it's good that the you know this this interaction where the listeners are helping you along, mm-hmm. and hopefully when you finally get to hunt, we'll have the same interaction, and you'll tell everyone all the problems you're having and how I'm not helping you at all and how I'm an awful hunter, and then the listeners will fill the gaps in. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping for. You look forward to that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> in case the listeners haven't noticed yet, whenever I say yeah, sure, it means uh, I'm just trying to move along. Just yeah, move get, along. Get to the, the next move subject. Along. Uh, you're not going to want to. This is the third email, and it's the one that's not fun. Okay. So you just made a mistake. All right. Rhododendrons <laughs> was way better than what we're about to talk about. Okay. Um, so our, our buddy Elias Torhaiden, one of my favorite emailers, emails all the time. He's and he always he always almost makes it on the show every time he emails in. And so good on you for knowing what gets me gets me up in the morning. He says, "Hey Ben, still still a big fan of your podcast, as if other people have dropped off somehow." No, I think just, you know, bringing up the whole, just not talking. Whenever you don't talk about something that's not hunting, especially with what's happening in the world right now. Oh, yeah. I think people are just like, hey, man, I'm still a fan, even though I'm sure a lot of people aren't anymore. (laughs) Well, hang on to your your hats, everybody. Here we go. Uh, I've definitely noticed that you and many other Mediator crew members seem to identify as relatively right-leaning. I'm probably considered fairly left for a Canadian, which makes me far left in the U.S., I guess. What I find really interesting is how liberal how liberal most of you guys seem when it comes to science and wildlife management and even a lot of social issues. You all do a very good job of mostly keeping your politics out of sight, but how do you square the two sides internally? 
This is probably more of a drinks conversation, but you're a busy man, and I live 700 miles away, so I'd give it a shot via email. Um, Phil, are you, do you feel uncomfortable talking about politics? Uh, not as much as I used to. Yeah. No, because well, I honestly, well, I, I, I used to feel like there was a lot at stake, but now I just, I feel like I don't really care. And also, uh, I think it's good to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. My grandfather, bless his heart, man, he was a traditional fella. He used to say, sex, politics, and religion. Don't talk about that at the dinner table. He did. I think that uh, created me like the opposite. Because that's the stuff that I think is interesting. And if the con- if the conversation isn't uncomfortable and it, it, it isn't getting it, getting to some core issue that we're all trying to manage, it doesn't seem interesting to me. So in this case, politics. I think most people that have hunting podcasts or or in general, I know Randy Newberg talks about a lot a lot about politics on his show, but most most folks tend to stick to the hunting, right? Mm-hmm. I know you're an avid listener of all hunting podcasts outside of the Meat Eater Network. Yeah, I've got a I've got a spreadsheet comparing every hunting them. podcast. Cause all I'm, of, yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's generally in my unless you work for a an NGO or someplace like the NRA or or a spot like that, you're generally not diving into politics as much as other things are. Same with sports. You just like you're there to play sports. Politics seep in and become kind of an uncomfortable thing. So I would just say my view on this is if, if you're going to listen to me talk about every every you know, like anthropology and paleoanthropology and race and all this other stuff, like nothing should be off the table, and intentionally nothing is off the table in terms of what we talk about. So let me just quickly, Phil, if you're comfortable, talk about my politics. Can I do that for a minute? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like it's not going to be anything I haven't heard yet. Yeah. For those of you that uh, – <laughs> good point. <laughs> for those of you that have never heard me talk about politics and, and don't want to um, hear that at all, we'll take a brief break and let you fast forward. Okay. We're back. Um, politics. Listen, I think I've been able to vote – This will, coming up, this will be the fifth election I'll have been eligible to vote in. In the f- previous four, I have voted for two Democrats and two Republicans. I'm not saying that to make a point. I'm just saying that's how it landed. Um, so my politics are independent and all over the place, and there's a little bit for everybody to get upset at, I think, in general, and how it goes. Um, but that's just it's one of the reasons what we came into this saying, you know, pro-nuance, anti-bullshit. It's one of the reasons we came into this trying to at least imbibe some a journalistic perspective while also being honest about our worldview, at least my worldview. So that's how I, I come at it. Like in terms of what I'm thinking for this election, in terms of how I'm thinking about it right now, I'm so um, disenfranchised with the entire system, uh, with the entire conversation. I have no idea if there's anyone that I could even vote for in all good conscience, uh, especially the two folks that are will be on the ticket here coming up in the fall. Neither of them is qualified in my estimation, and I don't think either political party really has much of a leg to stand on when it comes to solving some of the greater issues in this country. So I don't know what that makes me. Um, I I think socially, I generally lean left. Um, Economically, fiscally, the way we'd run this country, I'd probably lean right. I mean, but that's just generalizing to a a point that um, I'm not comfortable with. So I don't know, I just am not comfortable with the buckets, and I think the idea that there are these sides to lean to one way or the other is what's wrong with the conversation. Anyhow, anything surprising there, Phil? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Do you feel like that's a non-statement? Uh, I have a. I don't think that was a non-statement. No, I. I. I think a lot of kind of uh, centrist or libertarian type views can often lead to non-statements. It's like I, I used to follow kind of a lot of well, not used to a couple people like who would consider themselves libertarian, and they would always post these things or like without any, just like hot air. It's bad on this side, and it's bad on this side. So they just throw their hands up and are like, whatever will we do? And okay. it's like, well, fight for something. Oh, yeah. Like, you can make progress. Yep. And uh, that soul, that, that's why it's the both sides-isms, I, I just, like, bug the shit out of me. Because yeah. I feel like you're not actually fighting for anything. Yeah. No, to make it say, like, what I would fight for generally just doesn't fit into that one. And that's one of the things when I say, like, having these ideologies have to fit into one version or the other there's so much so much self-fulfilling prophecy there if i believe if i'm a if i'm voting conservative do i have to align with every other idea that comes with that with comes with that sect with comes with with that political party for me i believe i believe strongly in the second amendment that's that that leans right eh uh, I believe I believe in tech and protecting the environment. I believe in things like biodiversity. Um, I tend to believe in capitalism. I tend to, to lean towards capitalism um, more than things like socialism or democratic socialism. I tend to lean towards that. I tend to think uh, wokeness and performative wokeness is a bigger problem than greed uh, when it comes to capitalism. So I, I could list all the things I tend to believe um, and then you can grade them however you feel like wherever that puts me in the spectrum um, I'm comfortable with that I know that's what happens I know everybody has and we talked about this one of the things that I really admired about Omar and Matt I asked them kind of is there a purity score in hunting and in gun culture that you have to take as, as a quote unquote influencer and if you're not doing certain things is it, are you not in the club and both of them said no that's bullshit there is no purity test I am. I say what I say I do what I do I am who I am um, and their rejection of that idea is part of why I say I didn't do a great job in chatting with them because I set it up in a negative connotation, negative context. And so I'm always happy to talk about any issue. We will continue to talk about any issues. But um, hunting is what we're here t- to talk about. And and that's kind of the worldview and that's already been articulated here. And that's where we start. Um, but where we go from there, who the hell knows? Um, so politics, t- to your to your question, Elias, um, there's no real way to square up a company and a group of people who come from a bunch of different places. It's just like, are the, are these guys all right? Are they all left? Are they, oh, yeah. are they, is their mission this? Is their mission that? I can tell you for sure that we've been called left. We've been called way right. We've been called everything in between. I can tell you that this collection of people is more free thinking and more forward thinking than any that I've been a part of in my professional career. And so if you guys want to, if you want to label meat eaters one thing or the other, good luck with that. I'm, I'm sure you can find evidence one to, to, to support one argument or the other. But now we got to get to the more important thing. We know that we want to talk about race and the outdoors. We, want, we know that we want to talk about the current situation and we want to find some perspective. So who better to call than my friend Charles Rodney? Uh, Phil, you ready to call Charles? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's like the second. <laughs> that's like anymore. That's like the uh, transition. Uh-huh. The transition for the show. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's see if Charles picks up. Mr. Rodney at home in Maryland. Hello. Charles. You hear me, buddy? Yes, sir. How you doing, sir? 
Oh, I'm doing fine in yourself. <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm here with uh, our engineer, Phil. Say hey, Phil. Hey, Charles. How are you? Fine, Phil. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. Well, we were just mo- we were just moving through Charles. I know we talked a little bit about um, everything prior, but we were just moving through some of the race in the outdoors and some politics things, some some more uncomfortable conversation. Um, and I and I wanted to chat with you really quick about your story. Um, listeners of the show will know you as the Rabbit Man, <laughs> the the Church of Rabbit Hunting, which we love so much. But you okay. you, you wrote to, uh, a piece that I'll. Uh, that is going to be on the media to come really soon about okay. your, about your story, right? About where you came from and how you spent your life and, and some of the things that you experienced in the segregation of the South. Piece I sent you the, uh, the piece I sent you a few days ago. Yes, sir. That's the one. Okay. That's all the right. One. You want to kind of take us through, you know, listeners that listen to episode 30 will know your upbringing, but can you kind of just take us through how you grew up in Louisiana? Okay. Born and raised in Louisiana, a little town called New Roads, Point to P Parish. Louisiana has parishes rather than counties. They're the only state. About 30 miles west of Baton Rouge. Um, growing up, we were sharecroppers or tenant farmers. And what does that mean? You live on somebody who owns the land. You farm it. We farm cotton, sugarcane uh, as crops to pay the bills and take care of us and he we got three-fourths of it and he got a fourth of it you didn't pay rent but you had to buy the seeds you had to have your own tractor your own equipment your own labor and in most cases the labor a lot of the labor came from the uh the children i was one of seven i'm the last of seven so we had to work in the fields um cotton is planted in the springtime like april so we missed a bit of school to, to get the cotton going once they started growing something they call hoeing cotton or scraping cotton. You have a hoe and you're working out in these fields, straight roads, lots of them, acres of them, uh, probably 20, 25 acres. And then in the fall, August, September, you pick them and we picked them by hand, which was like slave labor. Uh, but we were working for ourselves. So, so the, the living it was survival. It was meager as survival. We we made enough to carry us through. And then there was sugarcane. Sugarcane are planted in the fall, like August, September. And then they grow and you harvest them, that group, the following year, like September, October, November. They usually finish by December. There were cotton mills that uh, bale the cotton. You took it there. Uh, there was a certain measurement that became a bale. And then the sugar cane was taken to the sugar mill uh, by truck. Uh, they picked it up and they took it by truck and they ground it and became sugar. Um, uh, it was brown sugar and they took it to another mill and granulated and made it white sugar. So we got to work in the, in the fields. Uh, not pleasant, but we had to do it. We missed school uh, when you were of age. And so did many other people uh, who, along with us, their children missed school and worked in the field. Or they worked in the field for somebody else. Then we went to school. We went to Catholic school, uh, Catholic elementary. My older brothers and sisters, who the oldest is 12 years older than me, he went to a number of schools that was in small Baptist churches along the road. We were five miles from town. So later on, uh, the 
Josephite priests and the Sisters of the Holy Ghost uh, who taught us established a Catholic elementary school for us, for the black children. And then we went on to high school. Now, even though we missed school, our mother taught us a lot. We caught up our lessons. We none had to repeat a grade. So I went on to college. My older brother is a Catholic priest. Um, he's retired 52 years. And the three in between, uh, two sisters, one sister finished college with uh, advanced degree and the two brothers uh, did machinist type work, welding. One worked in a, in a machine shop for Rockwell in California, McDonnell Douglas, I mean. So we, we and then we grew everything. We grew, we had, we had pigs, we had cows, uh, a few, two or three cows. We got milk. Um, we had gardens, we had fruit trees, so we can everything. So all of that put us over through the next year. And we got a little bit of uh, money from our parents, but most of it was spent. We had to pay tuition, which was low. Um, can you believe it? Uh, tuition at a Catholic school was $2 a month. Then <laughs> being the last, I paid $3 a month. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh so now putting my kids, when my kids went to school, I mean, it's like college in, because they went to Catholic elementary and Catholic high. So we, we had a lot of tuition bills, but we survived. So we went on and the schools, everything was separate. The school system was separate. The churches were separate. The doctor's office had the signs up where the colored go on that side. Uh, I, very, I vaguely remember the water fountains, but they were there. They They were not in our little area, but they were in other little towns. There were stores where you had to go through the side door. And even though the people knew you, you were always called boy. Okay. No matter how old I was young. I lived there from birth in 1950, February, 1950, until I left there in the summer of 72 after I graduated from college and I moved to Maryland in the Washington DC to work. Uh, I did not want to stay there. There was nothing driving me to stay there. My family were not property owners. They were not business owners. So there was nothing there for me to inherit from the family and say, well, I got to carry on the family business. No, no, no. It it didn't exist that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to get the hell out of town. Okay. And I did. But everything was separate. Even though the laws changed, Brown versus the Board of Education in the 50s, it was 11 years before the high schools uh, desegregated. The people fought it and they fought it and they fought it. And the government had to do like many other places, uh, send federal troops in. And then once they sent them in, then right after that, they closed the schools. They didn't, they didn't close them, but all of the white kids went to academies. Some rich person gave up some land and they started academies. And of course, we couldn't go there. Now, I believe one of them still exists and it has turned into a high school. So I I think there may be one or two people sending their children there. But when we grew up, there was one high school for blacks in the whole parish. Then there was two. While the white children had five schools and we passed them and we passed the church, the Catholic church, we're Catholic. And we passed the Catholic Church. We passed uh, one high school. Some kids passed two. 
So it's very heartbreaking. You're passing the school and you're going way over to another school, which means that you had to get up earlier. And the lessons were inferior. The books were inferior. And we used the books that were hand-me-down because you could see the names. I recognized the names of many of the white kids that grew up along the road along with me. So you got the hand-me-down books and so forth. And in 67, when they forced that integration and they started closing the kids, the white kids went to that academy and other academies. Many of them were established, but only one or two succeeded because they had a lot of money behind them. Okay. And then people move and would move their children, some of them to Baton Rouge to go to school so they wouldn't have to mingle. But these are the very same people that you interacted with every day. And when you go to the store, I remember this, going to some of the little country stores, because there's little country stores every mile or so. None of them exist today. But when you would go, the people that, that were on the stores never wanted to give you your change in your hand. They'd put it on, you'd put the money down. They wouldn't take it from you in your hand. you put the money down on the counter, and they put the money down on the counter when they gave you your change. Not so you would touch. Thought I had corona or something way back then. You talked about in the in the story that you wrote about the local swimming pool and um, playing basketball with with white neighbors, basketball and baseball with white neighbors that you were allowed, they were allowed to come in your yard, but you could never go in theirs. You talk a little bit about some of those examples. I mean, you have a lot of well, them. Well, let me, I'll tell you about the swimming pool because that's the briefest. And and I'm long-winded, so do cut me off. I know we're on a keep time. On, keep on going. <laughs> um, the swimming pool, okay. Still today, I very I can swim very little, which I learned later. But there was a swimming pool, and when 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 the integration stuff started coming, they closed the pool. All of a sudden, the pool got closed because they didn't want us to mingle. Mainly, I, mainly it was it was it was a, it was a racial and a sexual thing. They didn't want them black boys in there with them white girls. Okay, so the pool closed. I don't think it ever opened again. Now about playing with the with the the. the young white guys uh, that lived around us. Yeah, we played ball with them. Uh, my cousin next door had an old basketball backboard that we rigged up, and we played, we played ball on the dirt. And a couple of guys came over and played ball, and then we played baseball because we had a big yard, and we played baseball. And we would play with them, but, and they were invited to come over and sit but we were never invited to go in their yards, okay? Mm-hmm. And that never that never happened. And we lived next door, two three doors, and in in a house next door, us two three different families, white families, lived in the house. One lived there for a period of time, and they moved, and then another white family moved, and we got to know them and so forth. And they were all around the same age, or my older brother's age. So we were not allowed to mingle. And one thing you were not allowed to mingle in. As I mentioned, Mama taught us there were certain people you can associate with, there's certain places you could go, and there's a lot of places you couldn't go. So you never associated with some of these guys because they had sisters. Now, I'm taking you back, and this is true. And the last thing you wanted to have said was, the, as we said, and I don't mean any disharm, um, that if you went in the yard and a little white girl looked at you and said something, Somebody was there, a bunch of people could be there to beat you up, kill you. That's how a lot of people got killed, because somebody said something that was not true, 
Oh, he looked at me. Oh, he touched me. That kind of stuff. So we were protective of that. We were never mm-hmm. allowed. If there were girls around, we were never allowed. It was always boys to boys. Yeah. Uh, my older brother, Francis, that I spoke about that taught me about hunting. There was a, a fella lived two doors from us. They both loved to hunt. They were the same age. They loved to hunt and they would go hunting together. But then one time his sister wanted to go with him. So mama stopped my brother from going because the last thing she wanted to say, they out there in the field, in the woods, hunting squirrels and stuff, something be said. And then now you got all sorts of negative things happen. So that, that didn't exist. Okay. Uh, that's how that was. We were taught and you, you handle it and you move on. Now today, I mentioned that I see some of those guys now, they're still around and they're, this is nice, nice as you want to be. All that was passed. That was 50 years ago or better. My yeah. brother, as I mentioned, did the funeral, being a Catholic priest, and they're Catholic too. He did the funeral for one of the sets of people, mother, who was way up in age. My brother's 82 now, so this lady had to be in her 90s. And they called him to do the funeral because he grew up around them. He knew them. They knew him. And he called me and he named all of these guys, must have named 15, 20 guys that lived up and down the road that are still around because this lady was some of their aunts. You know, the, 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 it was this guy's mother. And then she was the aunt of three, four of them other guys and the cousins and so forth. So all them guys was there. And they welcomed him with open arms. But just to ask him to come and do her funeral because he knew them and they knew him. And it was deemed very respectful. He said it was very, very respectful because he could take it back and he could talk about things that went on back then. Plus he speaks uh, fluent Creole so he could do the homily or the sermon in English or Creole. Yeah. And they love it when he comes in and do that. Yeah. No, I think throughout, you know, throughout your story, there's all these, juxtapositions and that's part of the article that you that you wrote and we'll, that we'll post um and and you spent 25 years with various federal agencies working in human resources staffing position management recruitment counseling employee training and in all of that time you required to adjudicate complaints because of of acts of discrimination race age color religion national origin mental and physical handicap so you had quite the turn in your life and you talk about that in this piece and you also talk about you know answer this question i'd love for you to talk a little bit about that and then and answer this question you you said how did i survive the cultural transition from a segregated upbringing to a totally diverse environment i think that's a huge and very important question well i'll tell you what my my editor when she was editing she mm-hmm. said I told her I give her free hand, so she added that piece. That's your that's your wife Judy, by the way, your editor. My wife Judy, she's my editor and my my critic, and she'll she'll guide me and tell me. And she told me this morning, "Now be an apostle, don't be mean." I said, "I'm not mean. I don't have anything to be mean about. What happened happened, but making from that transition is, is so ironic that I lived in a society that passed me over." discriminated against me, treated me indifferently, 
not because like Martin Luther King, because of my my content, but color in what had gone on centuries before. And then I come to Washington, D.C. for a job, and I get a job. I start a job with, with the Naval Ordnance Station, a little place called Indian Head, Maryland. Worked there a few years. I was uh, probably the first or second black, but the first black specialist, which is kind of like a professional position there. I worked there, and I got, I got tried a number of times. There were some nice people, and then there was one or two. There's always one in the group that's got to be totally indifferent. But I progress on because I had a family coming, and I knew I had to be successful. And nobody was going to take that away from me and turn me around. And I worked. I went to a number of other agencies, getting advancement all the time, becoming a supervisor, becoming a manager, managing people. So not only in the people were, one time I had, one time I had seven females working for, them, for me. And I used to call them Charlie's Angels. I was Charlie and they were the <laughs> angels from the old show. <laughs> and they were they were mixed. All of the people that I supervised were always mixed because you had to ensure that you had a, a diverse staff because the law said you gotta you gotta have that diversity and you gotta have a balance. And we always had a balance before in in personnel. And then I was selected to work as the equal opportunity officer. As I am today, I get involved with all sorts of activities. One way, that's how I met you, uh, Ben. Yep. And so I would get involved in the work of the of the agency, and they saw me as someone that would be good in that position. For those who don't understand that, equal opportunity means you 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 have you have these programs that you provide service to the employees. You deal with complaints, alleged complaints. Um, you counsel, you had a team of uh, voluntary people who worked as equal employment opportunity counselors. They worked with me. I had specialists. I had to meet with managers and, and directors and so forth uh, to guide them and to work through this process. And I had to be neutral and ensure that everybody got fair treatment and the guidance and the direction I gave, it had to be fair and clear. I could not take sides for management. I could not take sides for employees, even though some people felt I should have taken sides or there were some uh, people I assisted, I should have shoved them by the wayside. So I ran it how I felt. And how I felt was that I need to be open. I need to talk to everybody. I need to treat people fair and ensure fairness. And I need to treat everybody in the fashion that I want to be treated. Now, I followed the rules. There's certain, in, in all offices, there's certain certain steps and so forth that you must go through the same as you guys. You got certain certain rules and mm. certain time frames and certain things you do and you don't do. The same thing exists today. And I did that. And I got a lot of I got a lot of credit for it. Um people felt they could they were I was trustworthy and you had to maintain confidence overall. I knew of things and I would work to settle it and when I would bring it up, I brought it up and utmost confidence. I think I probably turned some of the high ups off because there were some people that came to me that said some high executives that sexually harassed him. And back at that time, I told them how we would handle it and how, how to handle it and so forth. And 
they refused to do anything. And they didn't, hoping that it would go away. Well, it didn't go away. Because the is home, whether they believe they believe it was alleged. So whether they believe they were right or wrong, they believe they were right. Mm-hmm. And I told them how you handle it. So I ran the program in the best possible fashion that I could do. And people liked it. I was fair. They, they, they trusted me. And I would sit folks down, no matter who came into the office, male, female, handicapped, whatever. I listened. I closed the door. My staff, if it was one of them, had a small staff. They closed the door and we, we talked. And it stayed there. And we helped guide them properly through the process. Now, if they didn't have a complaint and they were just making waves and there were a bunch of people like that, I told them. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of your story um, and why I wanted people to hear you talk today and then why I wanted people to read your story as well goes to how you were treated when you were a young kid coming up and then how you carried that on to the rest of your life. And so, you know, part of what I admire and what I think hopefully everybody that listens to this admires is that you were able to raise a family, have a loving family, children, loving wife, very productive, passionate about rabbit hunting, passionate about raising dogs, have a professional career that that wasn't colored by your your upbringing, wasn't colored by the segregation that you um, lived with growing up. And so it's, it's, it's nothing short of inspirational to me just to hear it, and I hope, hope it will be to everybody as well. And you can read Charles's article coming up here very soon on TheMediator.com, so Check that out. Check out our newsletter for that. And, and you know, Ben, like I told you, I told you, if you have, if you have questions um, or if you, if you at some point down the road, you need a, a part two or a part three, I'm, I'm willing. Yeah. Um, I've got, I've got plenty of time. I've got a good memory. And like I told you, if you have some questions that you would like me to respond uh, I'd be more than glad to respond. Yeah. And growing, like I said, growing up was hard. We got along. We had loving parents. Our parents taught us respect of everybody. And I mentioned how my mother taught everybody catechism, religion training. And she never was paid a dime because she could read very well at that time. She went to 11th grade, which was the equivalent of 12th grade. But she was an outstanding student because of of money. She did not go to college. She could not go to college. But she had all of the makings there. And she taught everybody. And she read for for folks. She read letters. She wrote letters. She did taxes for some of the guys which uh, in the the neighborhood, all of that. And then my my dad could not read, okay? He could write his name, but he could not read. He was born in 1900. She was born in 1910. There was 10 years different in them. But they had the respect. He gave everybody out of his garden, chicken and so forth, um, and eggs and whatever he had, he shared. He shared himself, and he was both of them were full of kindness and they made us pick this stuff and take it to these people and give it to these people. And we wonder why are we growing all this stuff? And we grow this stuff 
and we can what what we couldn't use, what we finished you, we gave away. Yeah. Today I find myself doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say you do it. You do that now. You're so generous with the people around you. The church you have a yeah. A, I don't want to say you have a group of church ladies there and and that that love you for your baking and for your rabbits and for your vegetables. Yeah, and and the, and the sisters in the convent. Um, I don't know who adopted who. Did they adopt me or I adopt them? I give them fish. Guys give me fish. I don't fish. They give me fish. I give it to them. My wife don't like bonefish. I give them the bonefish. One other fellow um gives me a box of deer meat i give it to them and they love it i give them i I cook rabbits and go over there and eat with them and tell them and i tell them stories of course they love they love to hear the stories and i stretch it a little bit just for them (laughs) so uh, and i give them vegetables and and give service so you give it all back whatever you give folks it comes back to you Good stuff. I'm talking about bad stuff, bad treating people or anything like that. You do good things regardless. It comes back. Now, the sisters in the convent, they're from all over the world. Mm. Um, they, there's 10 or 12 of them there, and they're from about 10 different countries uh, of various backgrounds, okay? And... They are called for anybody who wants to check them out. They are called the servants of the Lord and the Virgin of Matara. Matara is a Spanish word. Mm-hmm. They've only been around 30 years, but they're the fastest growing group of sisters. They do charity work. They're in about 35 countries. They're just a, if you ever see some nuns walking around with a kind of a light blue and a gray habit, that's them. Yeah. And they, all of them in the city know me, of course. They, they got to know me. <laughs> Everybody knows you with your suits and your <laughs> hunting stories, Charles Rodney. Well, listen, man, I've, 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 I could talk to you all day, and, and we'll have you back on to keep talking about this. But like I said, I, can't, I couldn't thank you enough for being willing to share your story and being so open with it. Um, I know You're a lot of people welcome. are inspired by it and, and are listening to you and, and, and learning from how you look at the world. Well, let me say two quick things. I feel when I, when I read all of the folks' comments, and I read them, I read them all, okay, and I love them, uh, and all of you are so positive, even those who come from New Zealand and England and all over the country and places I don't know. Uh, I read them. I enjoy them. I, think, I feel like I'm the professor and you guys are the students. And that's all right. When I'm in the position where I'm the student with somebody that's a professor, I, I listen. And one closing thing, all what happened, even though it happened, that's the way the cards were dealt based upon my lifetime. And what I had to do, I had to play those cards and make them work and make them work successful for me. And I am not bitter. Some people might say, well, you ought to be bitter. Well, I'm not going to carry bitterness for, for my lifetime, for 50, something that happened 50 or 60 years ago. I am not bitter. Uh, Jesus taught us to love, and that's what it is. And as our pastor said in a sermon, on, we watched him on TV, the other day, the mass on TV since we can't go to church. He said, the guy who died is our brother. God is our father, whether you believe or not, and he's our brother, uh, Floyd. 
So you look at it that way, and you think positive, and you try to do good, and life goes on, and life goes well, and life has treated me awfully darn good. Yes, sir. And yet, like like you said, what you've given people has come back to you, because when I spend time around your wife, Judy, and your stories about your children, um, you guys have a wonderful family. There's lots of love there. You've done things um, for the next generation that you never had. And they're even your grandkids will even experience more of, of what your positive outlook will give them. Well, thank you. The type of life. And I, I thank you. I thank you guys for, for inviting me um, for this, this voice and for the document that I submitted to you. I thank you for, for asking me and considering because I do feel that's, that's, that's a special treat and I share it with people. And uh, our children cannot wait to hear in many other people. So I, I, thank, I thank you and I thank the whole Meat Eater Corporation family uh, for all that you have done and exposed me to, okay? Uh, well, Truly. It is, it is our pleasure. I was talking to our mutual friend Phil Hoon the other day, and we started putting dates on the calendar for next year's rabbit hunt. So um, after all this is... <laughs> Died down, and we're we're back to doing what we love to do. And speaking about that, I know we'll probably both be happy men. But for now, I really appreciate you, Charles, and we will talk to you real sure. soon, my friend. Good. Well, look, thank you very much again. Okay. Uh, thank you, Charles. We'll talk really soon, brother. I, I appreciate it, man. All right. You're welcome. See. All right. Bye. Bye. The great Charles Rodney, going away there via Skype. Um, man, you know, listen. I knew, I knew, I wanted, we should have gave Charles a whole hour. <laughs> the one mistake uh, that I gave, because I could listen to him talk for much longer than that, as we have on the show before. But what I will say is that I wrote this on, on social media the other day, and, and I was very happy to hear that Charles and his family members read it and felt um, moved by it in some way or happy that I wrote it. But I do believe that Charles's story is one that is like bookended with this hatred and that came with segregation and this this feeling that all of that could have welled up and turned him into, as he said, a bitter person, but it didn't. Um, and so the back half of his story is, is full of love and passion and friendship and community and all the things that I think are, are important to all of us um, on an intrinsic level. So his story, not only like the guy he is, uh, is infectious, but I think his story and the way he presents it is is also infectious. So hopefully, I wanted to make sure at this time, this day, that we heard from him because I think the timing is important, and I think he is important. So Phil, any any thoughts about what we just heard there? Uh, no. I mean, you know, it's it's always you know you always hear about stories of segregation. Um, at least I did. You know, just like third hand through history books and and you know. Uh, it's just you know it's really powerful to hear it from someone who actually lived through it and yeah. and how it how it shaped the rest of their life how they view the world now um yeah. and how charles uh specifically is using the, those memories to just to lead by example and he's full of empathy yeah. um yeah and sure. you know it's 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 up to to us and people in power to make sure we fight so that people yeah. in the future have a better future than uh than, Char- than Charles did growing up. Yeah. I mean, if you want to look at somebody who's done better by their children and their children's children, just look at Charles um, as an example. He's an example to me. I'm not saying that I know what to do. I know how to solve these problems, but I know for sure 
that if I listen to Charles and have you all listen to him as well, there's learnings in there. Um, there's, there's betterment in there. And so that's what is important to me at this time. It's important that somebody like Charles has something to say and, and is willing to share it. So thanks so much to him, him, his wife, Judy, and his entire family for being willing to kind of put themselves out there in this way. And, and thanks to you for listening to it. Um, I will continue to ask him for advice and to just call him to chat and we'll impart as much of that on the show as we can going forward. Cause this isn't going to be the last time, you know, we talk about race in the outdoors. Of course it isn't the, it isn't the first either. So we're going to keep that at top of mind going forward. But for now, a little bit more talk about that, more talk about gun culture and hunting culture and just being a positive force in this world. Um, as I said earlier, Matt Best and Omar Avila impressed me as though I thought they wouldn't. I, they absolutely um, drove me. They they gave me a good weekend, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I talked to them on Friday, and Saturday and Sunday were, were glorious for me because I was following their example. So enjoy Omar Avila and Matt Best. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Crispy, what's up, man? 
What's up, brother? Thanks what are you doing? On again. What are you doing down there? Uh, nothing much. Just hiding from everybody. Yeah, that's probably a good. <laughs> I can't go any further. I, I want to do. I wanted to do like pleasantries, and you know, <laughs> like, but I can't go any further without asking you about the rap song. Somebody wrote a rap song about you. Yeah, so a friend of ours, the the marine rapper, um, he, uh, you know, he obviously he's a rapper and does all a bunch of stuff, and uh, he hit me up. He's like, "Yo, I I got a really really good rap for you," and I was like, "All right, well, put it down, let's do it." And he ended up doing send it to me, and that's the one that I posted the other day. Dude, it was it's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, he's really good. He's actually really good. So he's a marine rapper. Yeah, he was in the Marine Corps, got out, and he's that's his name is the Marine Rapper. Marine Rapper, whatever. People go over there to Crispy's page and listen to it. They'll probably go on tour pretty soon, but man, it is it, <laughs> it's fucking fire, as the kids we're, say. We're working out the details. I'm supposed to come out with a flamethrower before the show starts, and then that's how we kick it off. <laughs> I got a lot. I even have more questions now, but before we get to that, Matt Best, what's up, man? What's up, hey, Matt? Brother. How you doing, man? Thanks Thank for having you. me on. Oh man, thanks for joining us. Um, for those of you that don't know Matt, there's so much to know. But uh, the first thing, the first question I have is, I was watching the quarantine music video that you made, and in that music video, there was a little small shot of Charlie Sheen. And I was like, Matt Best knows Charlie Sheen. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta ask him about that. So, yeah, we, we we called in all of our famous friends to to do a pretty cool cameo for that. Crispy was one of them, of course. We had to save uh, the best for last. We put them later in the video. But Tim Montana, actually, who co-wrote that with me, is a friend of Charlie Sheen's. And so he's like, man, I'll get Charlie Sheen in the video. I was like, all right, that sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that. I was very entertained. I was like, these dudes are musical to, to in a way that I never thought. Um, so congrats. But did that, you- that, that's all mad, by the way. I, I'm, I'm no way near. I have no talent in music. So. <laughs> You well, Chris, Crispy plays the, um, you know, the, uh, the, was it the cowbell for us? So he's really good. at <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty good on the triangle. So if you ever need to come in there, it's all in the hips, the triangle. That's all in the hips. Well, um, that we want to talk about today, but I, you know, we can't go any further. We can't do anything anymore without talking about the goings on in our world. So like, let's start with quarantine. Matt, you had, you were making everybody laugh during quarantine on your Instagram and YouTube. What, uh, what was happening over your way during that time? Man, uh, you know, I, I'm in a pretty fortunate position. I'm sure similarly to Crispy, you know, I live on some acreage. I live in um, pretty much the middle of nowhere outside of San Antonio. And so you, my active lifestyle is working from home and pretty much I have a home gym and I have a supply of food and water. And so I'm not really a prepper, but nothing uh, extravagant really changed for me other than cutting back on a lot of the travel that I do. I normally travel like to two different states a week almost, and that got cut. So it's actually kind of nice to not have to travel. And I know a lot of people had a less fortunate uh, experience during this than me, but it's kind of been nice to hang out with the dogs and the wife a little more. Yeah, that's all. You know, we did a daily show for a while right in the beginning of quarantine and probably did 25 total podcasts during the time, you know, when Montana, at least where we are, is locked down. And I, we didn't talk to anybody that was a hunter, angler, gun owner, whatever that didn't say just about what you just said. Like we're prepared. My life's set up in a way where I don't need much anyway. So, um, I think that's just part of the lifestyle we all kind of lead man. Couldn't agree more. And that's kind of when we wrote that lyric in 
do quarantine, uh, all my anti-hunting buddies reaching out to me. I'm sure Crispy's in the same exact situation where people are like, man, you got any extra uh, deer meat? I'm like, yes, but she died giving it to you. And then I got hit up by it to lend people firearms. I'm like, first, that's illegal. Uh, so it, it's an interesting um, psychological impact that it had in a lot of people that changed their kind of value system based off of necessity. And I think that hopefully it opened some eyes to a lot of people that might disagree with hunting and the Second Amendment. So I think, you know, unfortunate times sometimes give you a little uh, silver lining. Yeah, for sure. And I think for for me, I, I, I wonder what you think, Crispy, but I would just go out my garage and open up my chest freezer and just look into it. And it's like very satisfying just oh, to look at for, it. For sure. Like, dude, I did that almost every other day. I opened it and I was like, hmm, do I, do I want axes? Do I want bear? Do I want whitetail you know what maybe some of the red stag or maybe some of this moose that i have left over from alaska and then i go back inside you know you watch tv and all these people are in the stores like there's no meat i'm like i i got plenty of it <laughs> i've been this is where we live off every single year like this is not doomsday prepping i'm not like oh we gotta you know no one knew this was coming but you know from from the the past season and everything that that we do you know, fortunate enough to have had meat in the freezer. So, you know, we weren't running to the stores like everybody else and interacting with, with a bunch of people when, when they said it was supposed to be horrible and bad and all that crazy stuff. Well, I think yeah. Crispy and I got pretty lucky too, because Tim and I had just ended a hunt before this happened. I killed a red stag and he killed a couple of deer. So right when I got my meat back from the processor, I got about another 400 pounds of meat. So I was like, I'm good for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I had those two deer back and then I had an axis and I can't remember what else that I picked up the same time when all that stuff was going on. Yeah, no, that's like for us here, it's just it's nothing changes other than the value other people put on what you got going on. You know, the mm -hmm. I'll tell you guys, I had a, I've had a vegan on the show. His name is Dr. Robert C. Jones. He's a vegan philosopher out of uh, Berkeley, which is all obvious. Um, he <laughs> and, and he. He said, I said, well, what's been going on with you during quarantine? He said, I've, I've been thinking about self-sufficiency. And I thought, well, no wonder. Um, and so, <laughs> like, I think even him, without knowing it, he wasn't mentioning that because of guns or, or game meat. He was thinking that he was going to try to learn to change his car battery instead of having someone else do it. Yeah. But, but that's like a, it bleeds into this idea that I think we all follow that self-sufficiency and that knowledge base that we have about what how to defend ourselves and how to go outside and get things just helps. It works in this scenario, you know? Um, anything else, Crispy, any other fun things from quarantine that you came up with? I know uh, everybody should need to go watch Matt's quarantine video. What was that song called, Matt? What was the title? Quarantine, shockingly, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, not a lot, man. You know, I, I got lucky, like, you know, Matt said, we, we both live in areas where, you know, we're away from everybody. And, and uh, down the road, I got a friend that owns about 800 acres and, you know, still went turkey hunting, still went out there and had fun, rode around in my Polaris, shot my guns, did what I needed to do. I mean, everyday stuff, I, again, like same thing that Matt said, nothing changed for me other than the travel, like, you know, leaving the state and heading over and doing my speaking engagements and everything else that, that we do with over a black rifle. Um, nothing really changed for me other than that. And, and same thing, like, you know, I got to spend some time, you know, with my fiance here at home and the dog and, you know, just kind of drove each other nuts a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of getting ready for marriage type, like, do we really want to do this? And I was like, ah, you're all right. Let's do this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, nothing, man. I mean, everything continued to be the same for me other than, 
you know, doing collabs with other friends and going to see each other. Like I really haven't seen Matt since this whole thing went down. And, you know, we were, we were literally texting the other day asking me, you know, I told him, I was like, dude, let's do a crawfish boil and let's just all get together. You know, I mean, I, I think it's time. Like this is, this has just gone on too long. Yeah. What's, uh, what's Texas doing right now? What's, I know you're there, uh, in all around Austin, like in Montana, we're, I, we're eating at restaurants. We're going and doing our thing or basically fully opened up. What are you guys working on? Um, I think we're at 50% capacity, Matt. Is that right? I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's 50% capacity. I mean, uh, Kristen and I went to a restaurant not long ago, I think about three weeks ago and we went in there with my dad and it was, us and another family and it felt a little eerie like man there's there's really nothing going on and then from from that to three four days later i mean everybody was back on the road and shopping and and then hv you know before there was a line to go inside hv now everybody's just like you don't even have to wait you know people are no longer wearing masks gloves none of that so i've I've noticed it and and i don't know to be honest with you even for me at the beginning i was like whatever if i get it i get it i'll be all right <laughs> after what you've been through in your life and by the way if you haven't heard our first episode of crispy we'll take a break and let you go listen to that welcome back and now you know everything there is to know about crispy um <laughs> matt how did how did black rifle coffee do during the during this time how are they how are you guys doing during this time and what did you do to kind of to push things forward absolutely i think uh we're, we're doing we're doing well you know fortunately we are classified as an essential business because uh, coffee is king in most of our lives. <laughs> and you know, the majority of our business, uh, a little over 90% is direct consumer e-commerce based. So we already had the technology kind of implemented for you know, meetings and uh, VTCs and all these things. So we, we were kind of ahead of the curve. And right when the stuff started happening, we took preliminary measures and only had essential people you know, working in the roasting facilities. And then pretty much we let all marketing work from home. And, and we're still kind of in that... Uh, battle rhythm right now of just, hey, if you don't need to be in, why be in? Keeping everything as far as the coffee and everything super quarantined. Um, so we're being healthy and all that. But no, it's been pretty good. You know, we, we couple of the shops shut down for a while here in Bernie, Texas, where I live. Uh, we just got the coffee shop reopened, which was nice because that hit them pretty hard. Um, and that's kind of been my biggest advocacy through all of this is if you have the ability financially to support local businesses, do it because a lot of these people are on their last leg. Um, and if you can get out there and, you know, eat out two or three times a week, uh, do it if you can. That's what I've been trying to do with, with my family is get out and support them because a lot of them didn't have, you know, cash reserves for six months to operate. And the last thing you'd ever want to see is local businesses, uh, fall. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been become a huge tipper. Not that I wasn't before, uh, just to be clear, but I've, I've doubled my tipping every time we go out. And I think it's just a, you can feel you can feel that you can feel the thankfulness to those people understand that your, your patronage means a little bit more now um, than it did. Cause we've all kind of, we, I've got to see what it's like not to be able to just go out and grab a bite to eat with the family. And those folks have, have gotten to see what it's like to not have a place to go to work. Um, Indeed. So it's, it's been tough, but I, I don't think we can, I don't want to dwell on our current, on the George Floyd stuff and the current state of affairs in the world too long. Cause I want to talk about hunting culture, gun culture, social media, all that stuff that you guys are immersed in. And so am I, but, Again, I don't think we can we can do a whole lot without at least touching on that. Um, Crispy, you saw what I wrote with my black square on uh, on the internet. Um, what what are you thinking, man? Like, what's going through your head during all this? I mean, you know, there's just so much stuff going on, man. And, and I think, um, you know, 
now you have footage of what really happened. And I think stuff like this happens often and happens a lot and you hear from it, but now you really have footage of, of what actually happened. And, you know, I, I just, it, it just blows my mind um, how many people just start picking sides and how we start attacking one another instead of coming together and, and, and fixing our country and, and really attacking uh, things like that that are happening. And instead of pointing the fingers, it's all the police departments, it's all these guys, it's, it's not all of them. Like, you know, it, it's at the, at the end of the day, it's that individual person and, you know, he was a shitty person. And, and I think we encounter that in everywhere we go. You know, we've encountered, I've encountered shitty hunters. I've encountered shitty persons in the military and, and civilian world. It's not just the department and, and the people. I think it's the person. And ultimately, that, that's what it is. And, and, you know, when you start getting support and you start getting all these things and people are actually out there talking about it, um, you see the division, you see how people can be cruel to one another. And, and that's kind of where I come in. And I guess that's kind of where the hippie side of me comes out. It's just like, yo, like, come down, stop attacking one another, stop being so radical. Let's come together, let's talk, and, and let's figure something out uh, on how, you know, we can move on. Like, it's, it, it, it happens, man. Like, it, it, I've been racially profiled multiple different times. And, it doesn't stop me from hanging out with my friends and it doesn't stop hanging me like with my white friends or my black friends. It doesn't, that, that doesn't, the experience that I've had doesn't really make it that I can't hang out with white folks or black folks. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it was that individual person that had hatred in their heart because I mean, most of my best friends are white <laughs> And, and, you know, I, I can't sit here and tell you that every white person is bad because it's, it's just not. I think it comes, like, again, it comes down to being an individual person and having that hatred and the way you were brought up. And, you know, a lot of people like to point fingers at, at white people for being racist. And I'll be honest with you, man, Hispanic people are the most racist people I know. Do you, <laughs> I know, like, that people know your story. You came, your dad drove you across the border with some birthday balloons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and said and told the folks at the check station that you're going to a birthday party and you never a went back. Birthday party, so like, nope. Uh, and and now you're here and now there's so many hundreds of thousands of people that follow you and see you as American hero, which you are. Um, how do you how do you kind of relate that story to what all these people are feeling right now and kind of the fight that they you know that they see? There's I'm sure there's like an appreciation for this nation and what it provided you, but also like you know what racism is. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's something that that I battle with every single day because you do see things like that, and and it does hurt, and, and it makes me want to get out and just, you know, just go out and 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 just go off on this person and, and go off on different subject matters. But I think that the older that I've gotten and, and and the people that I've surrounded myself with, I've been able to step back and really think and, and really process things and 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 then release a statement. Um, but man, it is a hard thing to deal with. But ultimately, man, at the end of the day, you know, the way that my, my parents raised me is you always never act like a victim, always be kind to others and always put yourself in somebody else's shoes and what they're going through and then go from there. So, I mean, again, just so many mixed emotions, man. And I, I really, it's taken a few days to kind of talk about it. And, and what I really love is I've been able to call some of my black buddies and talk to them and be like, hey, like, let's talk. Like, 
what do you deal with on a daily basis? And then I've done the same thing with some of my white friends, like, hey, how do you feel you're being portrayed? And having conversations with people like that has really opened my mind to what's going on in the world and, and how we're so quick to judge others without really having a conversation and really slowing it down and, and understanding one another. Yeah. Matt, what's, uh, you know, I know like you've been active, you've talked about all kinds of things on, on social media. What have you found like thinking about talking about this or, or what, how your approach might be? I think it's a hyper complex environment that we're, we're trying to articulate here because there's so many different things happening. And first and foremost, I think with the, the tragic death of, of that individual, right, there's already criminal charges being placed against this police officer, which there should be. And I think there is a immediate solution to the individual that acted in criminal intent. And then from there, if you believe that there's a systemic issue within law enforcement, well, we don't change that by rioting, right? Peaceful protest is awesome. And I get it that you're, you're spreading that. And, you know, kind of to Christie's point too, I, I grew up in a military culture from 17. I served with black, I served with Hispanics, I served with Asians, I served with gay. I, 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 who cares, man? Like no one cares, right? It's about the character of the individual that should define them, not wherever they came from. And I think most of us in 2020 believe that. But the problem is, is during these peaceful protests, you have trash terrorist organizations like Antifa, which are inciting violence, and they're breaking down the same economies, throwing rocks, and, and these looters are throwing rocks through businesses that are on the fallout of an economic crisis pre-existing from the COVID-19 stuff. And so you're damaging these communities and setting us back, let alone the taxpayer money that has to go into the communities. And People like, and I get it's hard to talk to youth sometimes, but they need to take a step back, be a little more emotional, intelligent, go, how do I make the biggest difference here? And it's, it, it needs to be unifying and not divisive. And if they're like, again, if there's a problem with law enforcement in your area, let's focus on that. But no one's talking about the, the, the multiple African-American or black guys that have died during the looting and protests, police officers, there was a retired cop that got shot over a TV and killed. Like, where is, where is the, 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 the hysteria about that, you know, because people are just so quick to have their own self-affirmation and look at me, look at me, you know, and it's just, it's a bizarre, bizarre world. And I think a lot of that is based and stemmed off of social media and this self-affirming bullshit that people put out. Like, I'm not a racist. Like, yeah, you shouldn't be a dumbass. Like, why do you need it? Like, that's why I didn't post the black square. Like, I don't need to convince Crispy that I don't like him because he's actually one of my best friends. I don't care that he's missing a leg and, you know, it's, still looks more handsome than me. No, no one cares. About that it's about how he treats me. He, he treats, he comes over and treats my wife and me with respect and love. And I've had great stories with him and never once other than a couple jokes, have we, have we brought up race and that's just in fun thing, but we're, we're family and, and, and more people need to see that. And the more that we become divisive, like we're going to go down the white privilege route again. Like, it's just, I don't, I, I inherently disagree with it, and I wish people would come to the table with more educated conversation rather than emotional-based arguments and knee-jerk reactions. But that's our society because social media. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's it's sad to see people running to both sides of their political corner and trying yeah. to defend, to take, to to defend rioting or to defend a, a police officer that murdered a guy in broad yeah. daylight. It's like using your political stance or your worldview to defend like violence. Uh, to defend lawlessness, to defend these things because you have an ideology that agrees with the reason for whatever happened. That doesn't make sense. You have to 
find other ways to solve these problems. And right. it's, it's escalation of force, right? I mean, and, and by force, meaning you can start with conversation, escalate as necessary, right? I hope to never use violence against a human ever again, right? But if it comes to someone holding me and my wife at gunpoint, I'm going to drop his face with a bunch of nine mil rounds. But I hope to absolutely 100% never do that. Yep, exactly. And so it's what, what, you know, you're shocked and, all, and appalled by the video of George Floyd. And then you move on to like what you move on from that. Everybody agrees that that was awful. It was murder and secondary murder is at the very least the charge that that police officer should have gotten. I haven't heard of anybody. I don't know if you, have you guys seen anybody not agree with that? No, I think on all political spectrums, people are agreeing that it was murder. And that's where the judicial system comes in to get him a trial and, and convict him of murder. If that's the case, right? Absolutely. 100%. But like, th there's so many more complex conversations going on here. Like where are these bricks coming that people are dropping off? And like, there's so much out there that like, we should be a little concerned on who's influencing our society to act in this because not that I'm a tin hat wearer, but people are trying to be disruptive in American society right now. It could be Russia. It could be Antifa. I don't know. You know, I'm too dumb, but, Hillary Clinton, you know. but those are bigger conversations that are dividing a whole entire country. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you, you know, Rahm Emanuel, um, once said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And, yeah. and I, I'm not, I'm sure he's not the first person to say that. And that goes both ways, right? It goes, as like, never let a good crisis go to waste in, the, in a positive way. Like when this, when something like this happens, you have to, you can, you can create change out of it. It, that, it can, you know, swell up into to positive reform, but also there's plenty of people that think never let a good, I'm going to be a crisis actor. I'm going to be someone who pu pushes these buttons and turns this into something that's not for my own personal gain. And I mean, you see it every single day, dude. I, I posted the other day and, and I, I posted a day again, I guess, as you know, again, you said about the best, never let it go to waste, right? And you're seeing people that are out there actively wanting to make a difference, make, make a, a, you know, an impact on their communities. And then you have people that are, out there acting like they're helping like that girl that i posted where she was acting like she was helping you know drill some uh plywood on a window because there was there was going to be a protest and she literally got off had her boyfriend take a picture got back in her car and left and that was it like she didn't help at all she didn't do anything and you know i'm sitting there like we we want to make changes we want to do all these things we talk about how how we should do it and, and what we should do and then you have people like that that just want the fucking picture and don't want to work or do anything. And then it's just like, it really upsets me when you see things like this, because they're just doing it for that social media, you know, cloud, I guess you can say, or what the cool kids say now, but it's just like, look at me, I was helping. And even today there was this, this Russian actress that stood in the middle of the protest, you know, half naked that said black lives matter. She took the picture, got on an Uber and left. Like, Come on, people! You know we're here saying we want to make a difference. We want to do You're all these doing things. Nothing. <laughs> we should be like this. Yeah, like come on. Yeah, and that's that's where like everybody the, the the criticism of the black squares come in, and I'm I'm with that, man. I'm with it. Like that's fine. Post that. Oh well. But um, what are you doing? What are you really doing? Exactly. Um, what are you really saying? What are you really willing to say? Because a lot of times, even for the three of us, like there's, uh, you know, I say something, I lose followers. Everybody has a little bit of something to lose. So that makes it easier just kind of stay out of the fray, right, Matt? I mean, Matt, you're a co-founder of a huge business. Um, it, you know, you, you have something to lose if you speak out, I, I, I assume, at least. Well, yeah, I mean, I pick and choose my battles, right, of course. And, you know, I've been asked about that before. And 
I've put all my passion and desire into the veteran community and making change. And that's why, you know, we work with guys like Crispy who have the same perspective on where they want to change life. I'm only one man. I can only incite so much change in a positive way that I believe in. And for me to get engaged in emotional conversation that's not fact-based is a lose-lose for me personally. So that, that, that's why I stay a lot away from that. And, and like, does racism exist? Yeah, of course it does. There's piece of shits in this world. We all know that. But why paint that all Mexicans are racist or all white people are racist? Like, no, the majority aren't. Let's band together and fight against racism and educate people that it has no correlation to the type of person they are based off of their race. And, and that's what we should be doing. Not like having these factions of people fight and then women stripping naked to take a photo and going away in their $30 black Uber or whatever the case. It's just it's ridiculous. Yeah. We've, we've kind of did like this thing has devolved into something that I don't think anybody could have predicted when, when this, when it first started. And I think a lot of that is connected to what we started talking about. People are desperate. They're disenfranchised. And I, the one thing I'll say, and I've said it on the show before is I'm just, I'm enfranchised. I love this country and I know both of you guys do cause you fought for it. And I want everyone to feel like I feel. Um, yeah. I just want you to feel the way I feel about this country, this world. I think it's, I'm a, lucky to be alive. When I wake up in the morning, I'm like, damn right. And I get going. Amen. Um, Amen. And wake up in a country where everybody has the same opportunities. And, and, and this is coming from a person that was here illegally, you know, 20 years ago or whenever the hell we came or I don't remember, but we came here illegally, got my citizenship and decided to join. Cause that's how I felt that I wanted to give back. And that necessarily mean you have to do it. But, you know, give back to your community and whatnot. And every single day I wake up happy and proud and just this 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 brightness in me that I'm an American and I can wake up and go achieve my wildest dreams because we're all able to. And, you know, that's another thing when I hear people say, well, I can't get a job because I'm a minority and I'm this or I'm that or I don't have these opportunities. It's like, dude, I'm here to tell you, you do have them. There's resources everywhere. You just got to find them. And, and put yourself out there and do it. And that's the great thing about America. And that's what I fucking love. And that's how I want everybody to feel and realize that we are the greatest country because of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this, this whole conversation, like it's just something, man, even in our offices here at meat eater, um, in my personal life, everybody's talking about it. Everybody, you know, I think everybody I talk to wants to have a solution, wants to know what to do. So I like, I really appreciate you guys taking a little bit of time to talk about it. Because it's it's hard to it's hard to get it right. We're probably not going to get it right, but no. <laughs> as you said, Matt, we're just going to keep getting better at it and do what we can do every day as as people. Yeah, my my last advice in that is just like everybody needs to take a chill pill, right? We're all like a composition of conditioning. We've all had experiences or life that might make you feel one way about a culture or someone else. If you just take a step back and when someone disagrees with you or has a different opinion and not go, you're a effing idiot. And you just go, okay, okay. Why do you think that way? And then have that conversation. You might actually fucking learn something or they could learn mm -hmm. something from you. Like 22 year old Matt was an idiot and 33 year old Matt is a little less of an idiot, right? So it, it takes time to learn and learn the environments around you and experience new things in life. Just, just take the opportunity to be a sponge and learn. And, and, and it's like the best advice I could ever give people is just relax a little bit. Yeah. Go for the fact. I think both of you guys are just good examples of those things too. Like where you came from, where you are, the things you've done to serve, the things you've, you've done as, you know, Matt as an entrepreneur and is, is just a, like a thought leader. Same for you, Crispy. Like when I first met you, you weren't where you are today even, you know, 
You oh, had, dude, I was a jackass when we first met. <laughs> you didn't have any rap songs or anything that I was aware of. <laughs> so even from then till now, it's amazing to see how far you've come. Um, but it wouldn't have mattered. I, I fucking dug dug how you were and how you approached things the first moment I met you, no matter what you were doing otherwise. So I think that it's good to have folks like you out there, and that's why I was excited we could get you both on at the same time because um, – because it's just being an example. Influencers is, is kind of a bullshit word, but being an example is certainly not, in my opinion. Um, Heck yeah. So no, I feel like I'm just on a cool call with like one of my best friends and you. This is cool. Friday <laughs> 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 cocktail hour or something. You know? I should have. Yeah. I, I had that idea, man, because we've done like we did a, a review of Tiger King and got real drunk. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like this could have been the same if I'd have brought. I didn't bring any. Any alcohol to the party, unfortunately. Hey, listen, I got a bottle of Jamer with an arm's reach, so don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you do. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's like four or five, four o'clock on a Friday, and you're in your neck of the woods. So, like, it, it is, it's happy hour, <laughs> man. We're a hunting podcast, talk about all kinds of things. But I wanted to talk about kind of like the intersections of hunting culture and gun culture and like how all of this has kind of spun up over the years. I've been a part of it, I worked at the NRA. Um, I've also been attacked by them. So like, I know a little yeah, bit. I remember that. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> so I like, I, I understand a little bit of the dynamic of both sides um, and how it feels to kind of have to like pass the purity test. Um, and so Matt, do you, in terms of the purity test and what I'm referring to is kind of like how legit you are in each space. Cause in hunting, you have to do a certain thing or, or project a certain thing to be legit and i know in the gun culture there's there's you know in the tactical culture there's a way as well like how would you articulate you know kind of how we work how our culture kind of defines these these purity tests um shoot man i don't know i mean for for me like i i didn't set out to necessarily influence people in, in gun culture i mean i've been called i romanticized gun culture i believe by the washington post or whoever did that article on me who's great I, I get a quick story in that I trolled the interview guy when he showed up. I laid all my guns out in my house and I was wearing Ranger panties and cowboy boots and picked them up in my razor. And I was like, let's just let's just take this dude for a wild Texas ride. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I just I post what I love. Right. So I do the things that I love. I don't necessarily do them for like clout or people to think I'm a cool guy with guns. I just love the Second Amendment. You know, I, I um, deployed in multiple capacities over nearly a decade. And my main life-saving equipment was a firearm. And so I believe that I'm fairly e efficient with it. And if I can go out there and um, preach, you know, responsible firearm ownership, I think it's an amazing thing. And the problem is a lot of people, they're so afraid of what they don't understand. And I think that's really the outside perspective on the gun community is we're a bunch of gun nuts that are loose cannons. And I'm like, trust me, Chris, me, me, you, we're the guys you want in our team if something goes south. And I think a good lens and new perspective that people have seen throughout the COVID and these, these lootings is I can't call the cops. Their, their bandwidth is capped. So I have to be responsible for my own safety. And it's a very freeing thing to know that you can be self-reliant yourself with proper training and, and understanding what, how a firearm works. And, and implementing that as life-saving equipment if you have to use it. And hopefully, like my previous statement, I never have to shoot anybody ever again in my life. That would be a godsend. But I'm not going to be ignorant and live in a fake bubble that someone crazy idiot might not try to come onto my house property at two in the morning and gun me down. So I sleep with an AR. And it's like, well, you don't need that. You know, bullshit. Yes, I do. Yeah. Crispy, you want to talk about that purity test a little bit too and whether you've, you had to take it and people have like attacked you for 
for that? Like you could both tell me that's bullshit too. Like no, there isn't one, or I, I, I get you wrong. No, yeah, yeah. I was I, I was literally just gonna say that it's bullshit. There's no purity test. There's there's no none of that. I mean, you know, I guess I, I've been welcome with open arms in the gun industry just because I use them, I utilize them, I talk about them. You know, I always uh, I I just love. Uh, weapons. Again, it's something that I held in my hand, saved my lives overseas multiple times. I was able to use that that weapon to save my buddy battle's lives. You know, so I, I keep these things very close to me. And, and and just to draw the same thing that Matt said, I, I've said this in numerous, numerous podcasts and magazines. It's, you know, m- my time is done in the service. I, you know, my, all the stuff that I did overseas and the lives that I took, I left all that behind and I I would never, ever in a million years want to kill an American to protect myself. But if it happens, it happens. But I'm not out there constantly hoping, you know, like I'm like, I wish a motherfucker would so I can, you know, bust it out and I can be featured in the NRA. And, you know, they come into my house and they because they're so quick to do that shit. You know, they don't jump over it and they're like, look at this guy, you know, and then they use you, you know, for whatever their, their political reasons are. But it's just one of those things. No, I, I, I you know, I grew up because I joined when I was about 18. I grew up with, with firearms and I've always known them and I've used them to hunt and I go to the range and it's therapy and I, you know, I keep all these things going. And another thing that it does for me, it's very therapeutical and it helps me with my hands because I got to load magazines. I got to keep that trigger discipline. I got to make sure I got a good grip on my handgun. So all these things are helping me, you know, make my life better every single day because it's keeping all my joints going. You know, they're not getting stiff and none of that. So to me, there was never this purity of like, I'm a, I got accepted by the gun industry because um, this gun to do is no, it's just, I was, I've always been me and I do me. And if people like it, cool. If they don't, fuck them. I don't care. They don't pay my bills. I, I can honestly say that to you right now. I don't care what others think about me. Yeah. I like wading into all this and I kind of just love to, as some folks would say, like just court these issues that are kind of fraught, that have duality, that have gray areas that just don't have things like I, that's just my personality. It's maybe unfortunate at some level, but it's, it's, (laughs) it also helps me understand, you know, some of these issues and, and all the things we've talked about up until now all have gray areas and nuance and different things that, um, they're never going to be, uh, one way or the way you want them. And there's no reason to be an absolutist. And I think what you both were kind of just saying there, if I could maybe summarize is that's it. Like just, there is no absolute way to be in this culture. You just be yourself. And both of you guys have had good success. Like Matt, do you, what do you attribute like black rifle success and your success and, and Evan's success, all of that? What do you attribute that to something particular? uh hard work <laughs> you know i like i, I said that many times i work out i work i work out my intelligence man i'm not that smart of a guy i just i just go to the grind every single day and i don't fall into victim culture i've had tragedy in my life i've had failures i've had you know depression i've had all these things but i don't let it conquer me i consistently just wake up and go i got to be a better fucking version of myself and you know maybe some of that stemming from you know, tragedy in, in the military and seeing friends that got lost way too early. And it's like my obligation as, as an American and a human to be a good dude and, and try to inspire people to live a happy quality life by any means necessary. And, uh, you know, I, I think for Evan and I, we just saw a big 
hole in American business as far as how do we create a cultural movement that supports our veterans, you know, and they, it didn't really exist at the time. And, you know, we do a lot of comedy based stuff and satire based stuff because as Crispy knows, and I'm sure you do, a lot of the way we dealt with these like really dark situations was having a macabre sense of humor, having like, we could joke about terrible things. And it didn't mean that we believed in the, the statements or the narrative, of the joke, but it was a way in a relief system for us to like clear our minds and then be mission focused. And I, I, it doesn't mean that I don't fall into my own holes here and there all the time, but I just try to stay mission focused. What matters? I want my dad to, you know, live out his retirement and be super happy. I want my wife to be love her life. And I want my, my best friends and my family, like, and then it just grows and grows from community to country. And if I can be an advocate for that and show people that you can kind of throw away all the bullshit that life throws at you and, and take your punches and get back up, uh, then, then I think I'm doing an okay job. You guys both, I mean, it sounds to me like you guys both think that your time in the military put that in you, grounded you, and made you understand what, how quickly it could all go away. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the military taught us how to appreciate life, how to appreciate the little things, and not to take anything for granted. You know, I think Matt and I both saw a lot of friends die around us at a young age, and, you know, that, that shapes you up, that, that, forever will change you. I mean, it changed me 100%. I, I, you know, I used to be this freaking kid that thought he had the whole world on him because he was, you know, a collegiate athlete. And, you know, I thought I was really badass going to the military and all. But, I mean, the military changed that all for me. I, I, I saw one of my best friends die in that vehicle with me that day and lost another great friend that day and then lost about 14 in the whole deployment. And it forever changed me. It, it taught me to appreciate life, to really... Uh, be a kind person. I mean, there's just so many things that it taught me that it's changed me into who I am today. Matt? I, I completely agree with that. I mean, you can you can summarize that in so many different ways. Like life's a white light switch. You never know when someone's going to turn it off. You know, we're born terminal. Uh, there's no dress rehearsal. And I think <laughs> when when you're you experience how quick life and how fleeting it is, it, it really gives you a profound respect of the time here on Earth and how important it is to lead with love and empathy, and then always have, you know, violence as a tool that you hope to never pull out of that toolbox. But the reality is there's some really evil people in this world. And, um, you know, but it, yeah, the military absolutely shaped my perspective on life. And, and it's, made, it, it's made me an absolute better person. It really has. What, Matt, what's, uh, in terms of hunting, what's that done for it? Like, I know we've kind of already touched on that, like, kind of the extrinsic stuff that, that you know the stuff that we get from it the meat and kind of the benefits but what for you personally has has you know hunting done um you know i grew up hunting and fishing um it, it, it's pretty crazy our parents let me do that but my brother who's about three and a half years older than me when i was like 12 and 13 my dad would give us a 12 gauge shotgun and 22 back when you could do this and we drive out you know four hours up in the hills and uh, it's some of the fondest memories i've ever had and crispy knows my brother real well alan and we would just take a sleeping bag, a little gas burner, and literally hunt for a food. And we bring one MRE. And it was just so freeing to be a part of the environment and being self-reliant on yourself. Um, and I think now, uh, after I've been deploying pretty much my whole 20s, and I'm in my 30s now, I have the ability to go experience these awesome, awesome um, 
community-based activities like hunting and waking up in the morning with crispy in a lodge and drinking black rifle coffee and then shooting the shit while we put on our camo and then going out and then really, but treasuring the harvest and the process of hunting. It, it is, it's just amazing. And I think you have a far more intimate and profound respect for wildlife when you see this gorgeous, beautiful red stag, and then you take its life and you see the process of you know, processing it. And then it turns into crispy coming over to my house. And now we're eating red stag burgers today, laughing about life. I mean, the whole experience from start to finish is just, it's absolutely amazing. And it gives you so much more respect in, in this crazy ecosystem that we have. Yeah. Crispy. I got to ask you how you guys met, but crispy, give me a follow that up. Dude, how we met. Yeah. I got to just, just give me how you met. Cause I feel like you guys, uh, so we met at shot show. Um, you know, Shasha, just that, that thing. We met out there, and then um, I think we got drunk at a club, exchanged numbers, and, you know, we all went home. And then Matt called me out of nowhere, and he's like, hey, man, I'm doing this piece about my favorite five top military people, whatever. Like, you, are you okay if I use some of your stuff on social media? And, like, the whole time I'm like, oh, my God, it's Matt Bass. It's Matt Bass. Like, ah, why is he calling me? And, uh, you know, went from there, and then, you know, went when, when – Black Rifle started and they went in South Lake. I flew out there and hung out with them and just super fucking awesome dude. Open arms. Every, I mean, just, just, just felt like family rock the gecko, man. Like open arms, no judgment, no, no, no judgment from previous stuff and nothing. It was just like, Hey, you know, we, we, I like who you are. I like what you stand for and, you know, welcome to the family. And, and that's pretty much how we met, man. And then, you know, we've been super close friends ever since. And, you know, I mean, I, I can't even imagine it or tell you all the things that, that Matt, Nevin, and everybody's done for me and how they've been there for me since 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 that day. And, I mean, I just love these dudes. And it, it's it's kind of hard to look back at that and say that's how we met because I feel like we've been family for so long that I, I kind of want to say, like, oh, you know, he's my, my cousin from so-and-so or whatever. But, yeah. Yeah. man. Uh, Matt, I mean, you're gonna have to say some some way nicer things about Crispy here to, to even <laughs> win, win the battle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, yeah, we can we can do the hype train here. Uh, I don't think Crispy knew how much she inspired me. I followed him on Instagram, and I had called him because I was doing this kind of third party in media where they asked me my top five like inspirational veterans, and it's hard to pick because I knew so many epic dudes and Medal of Honor recipients. But there's something that really stood out about Crispy was his story. And it's so in line with my mission statement in life. I mean, Crispy has every opportunity to be a victim. He could sit on his couch and go, woe is me. Look at me. I'm burnt. I, I'm missing a limb. Give me life. But he said, fuck that. And he now he's taken life. And it's so inspiring to see someone that is um, considerably socially looked at as a far less fortunate person than me, crushing it and being more inspirational than me. And it like, it motivates the literal shit out of me to know that there are people out there that can work through all the hardship in life and not only to benefit their own life, but to be a leader in a community. And I, I just love, love, love that mentality. And I want to partner with people going forward that spread that message message to get rid of this like bullshit victim social media culture that goes like, let's, let's help out. Let's help people. Fucking a man. <laughs> like let's do good in this world. Let's leave it better than we, we saw it when we got here. Yeah, I mean that's it's funny. I like to hear you guys say that because I have so many, and and Crispy knows this about like the guys at Archery Country or a bunch of people that I've met through hunting, and the people I have on this show. Like, I, I feel I and I would echo what you said, Matt. I feel like it's just a bunch of dudes just talking. Like, there's nothing. 
I, like we kind of I every time you talk, I say amen in my head. I don't know if I say it out loud, but there is there's this version where people that hunt or people that kind of especially you guys, you have shared experience in the military, which I don't have, but I see it in the hunting world. I meet other people who are, you know, in the profession and we have a professional friendship and at least it starts that way. And then we think the same, we value the same things. And I don't know if it's a chicken or the egg, whether it's hunting that kind of is the glue or it's just the type of people that are drawn to doing something like this, talking about this stuff for a living, doing it for a living or whatever. But I, I see it, man. I've had a lot of things that started out as kind of a professional friendship and an admiration that turned into just like a deep, um, long-lasting, lifelong thing. Um, is that is that kind of how you feel, Crispy? Yeah, 100%. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I guess moving on um, to the social media aspect of it. I mean, both of you guys spend a lot of time there. That's how I know you, Matt, from just following that, seeing what you do. Um, you inject comedy to it, which you've already talked about. Levity. You see that in a Black Rifle Coffee brand. We were talking about here the other day in the office that the one of the reasons we admire the brand Black Rifle Coffee uh, over and above the product is that you guys are just who you are. And as you've grown, you've, you've kept that macabre sensibility that you mentioned you've kept that going um 
and most companies as they grow kind of have to get blander so more people can can connect to them. How have you guys approached that as you've kind of gotten bigger over the time? Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, the company, the, the, the two driving heads of this thing, and we have an absolutely phenomenal team, like I said, over 200 employees, and we have people that participate socially like Crispy and help with other brand aspects. Um, but, you know, Evan and I are leading the brand. And, and the brilliance of that is we don't like placate the corporate culture at the end of the day, what we want the brand to look like for better or for worse, we're going to do it. And I'm not a pushover. I'm not going to let someone tell me to change. You can't say the F word anymore because you might, you know, granted, there's certain restrictions on social media and you have to, you know, pivot here and there to, to market the company. But at the end of the day, what we want to do is what we're going to do. I mean, that is the American spirit. That's what entrepreneurialism should be. Um, and I, and, and that's why I think the company hasn't changed is because we have such a good ecosystem and environment at the company who we hire. I would rather have a cultural fit that I have to train the job rather than hiring a professional that's going to come in and just, just disrupt with bullshit microaggressions. Right. And so we're very selective in the cultural type that comes a part of the team because we don't consider it a team. Really. It's a family. Um, and, and that's what we'll stay true to that until, you know, I get, I, you know, die in a plane crash or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Don't take me with you. (laughs) Yeah. When, and it, it has to be something epic like that after all you guys have done. Um, I, I feel like, especially for you, Crispy, um, we got to talk about social media. We'll, we'll probably end up just talking shit about it, um, but that's all right, <laughs> man. That's, that's okay. Um, can you just like, how do you handle social media? You, what do you read the comments? Do you not? What's the whole thing? I've heard a million people talk about this, but I, uh, I want to hear what you want to <laughs> say about it. Like, just let it loose, man. You know, I do read the comments. I do read the DMs. I try to get us back as many people as I can. Um, just because I know I put out myself out there, where whether it be through tragic things that's happened to me or something positive or whatever the case is, I know I'm putting myself out there and I'm making my personal life uh, available to everybody else. And people are going to have questions. People are going to say their opinions. And, you know, I, it comes to a point where, I take all the positive things because there's more positive than negatives. Um, and, and I use those. If I'm able to give back, if I'm able to use my following to help others, or if one of my posts touches one person out of everybody that was contemplating suicide or just calling it quits or whatever the case is, if it touches one person a day and it makes them a better person, then I'm all for it. And, and I love reading the comments. I love reading the DMs sometimes. Like, man, I've had, I've had cases where I had a gentleman who was out and I can't remember what part of the world it was, but he was with his wife taking a, uh, their, their, their first honeymoon and they've been married for 30 years. And this wave came in and, and pushed them into the water. She ended up drowning. And he told me that there was a point in his life where he was in a point there that he was just going to give up on his life. and just say, fuck it, I'm done. And for some reason, Crispy the fuck on was in his head and he kept saying it and saying it and he was able to swim back. And, and, and you know, they saved, they picked him up and they got him out. Unfortunately, his wife didn't make it, but he told me that my motto helped him. And it, it, he still to today says it. Um, and even though he's a pastor, he says it when, you know, he's by himself. And um, things like that have touched me, things that I've been able to do with, with burn kids. Um, have really, really uh, 
make me admire and love more social media because there is a lot of negative things. I mean, there, there is DMs that I've opened up where, you know, people have called me all kinds of names because they probably don't agree with the things that I say. And it's okay because I can look at that comment and I can delete it and never see it ever again, but I can open up a positive one. So there's more positive than negative to it. And honestly, comments like that are just, they're weak to me. They don't mean anything. Like it goes, I read it and I forget about it. Um, but yeah, I try to interact as much as I can with people again, because I put my life out there like that. Uh, and I want to be very open and, you know, like Matt said earlier, I want to make an impact in this world and I want to make sure I can help change lives. And ultimately that's my goal with social media. Yeah. Matt, you read comments. Yeah, I, I do. I don't go through all of them. You know, I think when I first start social media, I would scroll through a thousand comments and look for the one bad one and up over it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think that you, the way I look at social media, right, it's like, it, it almost be like science in a sense of, you know, I, I care about what my peers have to say. So, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're doing a, uh, you know, a, a, a scientific article, you care what the doctors have to say because they're in that community and you as a collective are defining where that goes. And so I care about like what my guys downrange are doing and all of this, you know, I, I still talk to a lot of the upper echelon tier units and I have friends there and I'm like, how are we received over there? And they're like, you guys are doing amazing things for us. I'm like, okay, Roger that. And then I'm not going to care when some fucking idiot comes on here. And I, I'm sure just like both of you, I've been called every name in the book. I've got, <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> I, I've, my, my wife has been attacked. I mean, I've, I, it has been brutal over the years, but at the end of the day, it's very resembling of what Crispy's outlook on it is. It's like, you see the change that you have and you really will never hear about a lot of these things. Like when I did my book signing, I had people come up to me like, dude, I had a pistol in my mouth and I watched how to be an operator. And I decided to get back in the gym, rekindle my relationship with my wife. I'm like, how the, that stupid ass poorly edited video made you do that. So you really never know the impact that you can have in people's lives. And, and, and it, it is an absorbed risk as any person that puts themselves out in social media. When you step on that stage, you're going to get criticized. And to, to Crispy's point, I think that you can disagree with your, you know, statements and opinions, but action is what truly matters. And, you know, I'm sure Crispy and I disagree on some things in life, but I know he acts in an empathetic and loving way towards humans and towards his community. And that's what matters most to me. I see him put the work in and make change. And then if we disagree on some frivolous bullshit, who cares? I mean, and then it obviously gets worse and worse from more political spectrum or opinion-based spectrum that you go from, from my general ideas and values in life. And, but I don't care. It doesn't bother me one bit. Yeah. I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts and every time I, I click on and it's two celebrities talking to each other, I mean, two, you know, what we would say B or A-list celebrities, this comes up. This is something that comes up because they're dealing with it. And, and, I, and especially folks that have like, a, you know, a more creative endeavor at the heart of what they do. There's criticism that they know that's coming when they're making that movie or making that music. They know that it's coming. And what I think if everyone should rewind and listen to what both these gentlemen just said, because, you know, when I write an article or create a podcast, I don't do it thinking about what the criticism might be from what from what I'm trying to create. I'm creating what's what I think is right and have you know, the willingness to put it out there and see what happens. Um, yeah, there's a really fun, I love exercises. I love like challenging my psychology and a fun one I heard from a friend was 
go look at your favorite movie, pick your favorite movie of all time, and then go to IMDb and read the negative reviews. (laughs) (laughs) For instance, I love Saving Private Ryan. I think it's one of the best war films ever made of all time. You go in and read some of the one-star comments, you're like, oh, people are just haters in this world. You know, like, they have no understanding of the process from script to screen and how long it took them and the revolutionizing camera angles and telling this brilliant American war story that, you know, whatever, right? But like, there's always going to be the one stars in life. But the good thing about that is the one stars who are using all their emotional output to fucking break you down. They're never going to be successful. They're going to, they're just going to, live in that swamp pool of negativity and then I'll focus on the positive and keep pushing forward. All right, we're gonna have we're gonna do that, Matt. Uh right now. D- Joe, we need your help there, buddy. You're gonna be our Jamie. Okay? <laughs> I'm I'm Joe Rogan and you're Jamie, okay? Get to Googling. Uh Saving Private Ryan. We're gonna talk a little bit. We'll let you Google Saving Private Ryan and then you're gonna let, I'm gonna read some uh some shitty comments. Crispy like oh, Crispy, what's your movie, man? Oh man, that's uh like my one to go movie that I watch a lot, man. Uh, shit. Probably Forrest Gump, and I really every time I fly, I watch uh, Lawless. Yeah. Okay. You, did you look up Saving Private Ryan? Yeah. Hurry up, Jamie would have had this shit up by now. Yeah. Damn it. God. You can't yeah. find good. All right. Well, You're find me a negative comment that we can read, man. Jamie, probably we would already been watching the video. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's 8,701 stars on Saving Private Ryan. So. Oh, what? <laughs> That's a good one. I mean, it, it's voted at 8.6 rating, but the, yeah. Uh, Forrest Gump. I was thinking Forrest Gump, too, when you said that, when you started saying that, Matt, that uh, that's probably what I would pick. Because every time I watch Forrest Gump, I just kind of, at the end, I just cry a little bit. And yeah, it's a good story. Like, it's just Maybe like, we're all just Tom Hanks fans, you know? Lieutenant Don. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, when, when I found out that Tom Hanks got COVID, I was like, "Don't you dare take Tom Hanks, you son of a bitch!" How it's a real issue. You could take Rita Wilson. Don't take Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, Rita. Just kidding. Uh, you found something yet, Joe? No, no. What in the man. world? I found something already. Uh, this is Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Yeah, it's Forrest Gump. Self-ingratiating, and for this viewer, maddening. It blends the comic with the Christly, the satirical with the sentimental, the free-thinking with the fuddy-duddy. Eat one. That's not Nigel Andrews from the Financial Times. Chris, do you have any official comment about that review? I do real quick. He sounds like a dude that one-stars Yelp reviews and says, (laughs) everything was awesome, but there was a a paper towel in the bathroom floor and he fucking one-started. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, God, you took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, Joe's got us one. He's got one for you to say. From an article in Wired called Reconsidering Save It Private Ryan, According to that review, according to that review, Savior Private Ryan was undermined by Spielberg's trademark, strain, seriousness, corn, and schmaltz. Though widely hailed as a new sort of war movie, the Economist said Saving Private Ryan is rooted in Hollywood tradition and making movies only from the viewpoint of the victors. Oof. Oof. Wait, so they, are they saying Nazi Germany should be in better under a better lens than like giving Hitler some clout or something? Because I'm oh. super confused on that sentiment. I, I'm confused yeah. that they're saying like we need to we need to know what the Nazis were thinking there. Uh, 
proves your point, Matt. There's some <laughs> confusing, weird reactions to just about every piece of art yeah. or commentary ever put out. Um, we should read a good one about Forrest <laughs> Gump because Forrest Gump is just. Uh, it's an iconic long, movie. As long as you don't look up reviews in my movie, we're good. Okay. Dude, I give I give your 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 quarantine song five stars. A glowing review. It's no, 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 no. He he made a movie called Range Fifteen. I don't think you've seen it. I'm gonna okay. send you a I'm gonna send you a DVD, Benny. What's I it called? Few... What's it called? Range Fifteen. Range Fifteen. Let's let's not let's not go down. You brought it up, Matt. If I wasn't a good hoe, if I was a was a bad host, I'd let you slide on this. That's fine. But <laughs> you, can, you can you can I I said I have thick skin, so you can read read a negative view. Okay, you, you'll get some juicy ones in there. All right, it's called uh, Rain. I've never seen it, so but but I'm gonna send you a copy. I'm coming off of. Are you in it, Matt? Oh, there you are. Yeah, you're in it. Yeah, I'm the lead. It, it's a B B minus movie that uh, you know made veterans by veterans. It was made for a specific community and it, it did its job and I think it ent- entertained a lot of people. But obviously, when you start branching out from the humor we have, people are uh, not not very understanding of it. That was that was a long time ago. You never know. We may. This is. I'm just gonna lay this at the feet of Crispy. Joe's playing me the trailer right now. Oh, Dude, it got a, it got an eighty four percent audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. That's that's. Huge. That's probably better than uh, say uh, Forrest Gump. <laughs> uh, let's, not, let's not compare those two. <laughs> yeah, the people have spoken. Oh, who is in this movie? Hey, it could have got a ninety percent, but I wasn't in it, so that's why it dropped. It was. Uh, Look, you're completely right. This is something I wish I knew about before this. You got Sean. You got Rudy in there. Mm-hmm. William Shatner. Well done. I don't see What's any. It? I don't see any Dude. negative reviews. Not one. Uh, Matt, what's that dude's name? The the, uh, the general, the black dude that played there? I love that dude. Um, oh, um... Uh, what's his name? He's like one of my... Yes! Dude, I, I that dude's fucking no. hilarious. I'm watching it. Joe, <laughs> Joe's playing me the trailer. <laughs> I feel like, get some, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. All right. We'll move on. We'll move on. I had to at least <laughs> had to at least pause there. I don't know where to go from there, but I had to at least pause there. Um, I, I probably looking forward into the future, Matt. Like, what's the you know we've all talked about the present and how much it kind of sucks. Um, you guys have convinced me to to uh, not wallow any iota. But what's what's in the future for you, man? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, I don't necessarily know, man. I got some some big projects I like to challenge myself. And so, you know, I'll probably direct another film myself. Not that I didn't direct the last one, but I would love to direct the film. Uh, I'm working on a short film right now that uh, Christy will, will be in as well. Um, that's the, it, the preliminary shooting days are already in edit. So I don't know, man. I, I really just rallying around Black Rifle Coffee and growing that enterprise and hopefully changing the cultural perspective of veterans across America and um, giving them a place to walk into where we hang American flags and people don't get dis- disgusted. I mean, if they do, they can they can cordially leave our place of business, you know. So really just focus on Black Rifle, becoming a better executive and then really challenging my my creativeness in life, you know, through music and art and films. So uh, I don't know what that exactly looks like, but it 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 will be a very fun and uh, work intensive um, process. 
which I like. Yeah, man. How how do you did you ever think about defining yourself? I know everybody tries to define you based on what you do. Like if somebody asks you, like, what do you do? Who are you? How, like, is there a way you explain that? I usually just say entrepreneur because if I start going into the projects I've done, it confuses people and they usually don't believe me. And that, that sounded self-infatuating. But like I wrote a <laughs> movie and I run a business and they're like, they're like, okay, this dude's an idiot. But uh, no, I'm just an entrepreneur, man. And um, I would like, like artist maybe. I don't know. I like to make people laugh. Dude, it works. Um, the best medicine in life, dude. Dude, it yep. works. You've been making people laugh well before quarantine, well before uh, all this crap we're going through now. And um, range 15 is in my mind. But, Crispy, uh, what do you got going on, dude? What what's what are you looking forward to? Man, um, you know, dude, I, I, there's things that I've been wanting to do. And, and I think uh, uh, the, the next project for me is uh, buy a ranch and, and host people out there not necessarily make it a nonprofit. I don't want to make a nonprofit. There's there's millions of nonprofits out there, but I want to provide a place where people can come out and hang out and bring their families. I think a lot of these um, nonprofits that do hunting trips don't necessarily involve the family. And me being an injured guy, I understand how how family is very important. Um, my, my, my family dropped every single thing going on that they had in their lives. And, um, and they came and took care of me. So they experienced everything that I went through. It was emotionally draining for them. You know, there was times where, you know, I saw my mom hurting and, and it bothered me a lot. And there's all these trips that these guys take and go all these cool things, but they don't bring their spouses. They don't bring their kids. They don't get them involved. And that's kind of what I want to do. I want to share more of the outdoors with not only the warrior, but their family members and be like, this is what we have going on here. If your wife or husband, daughter, son, whatever, don't want to hunt, hey, we got horses you can ride. You don't want to ride horses? Let's go shoot some guns. Let's let's teach you how to operate and function uh, this this weapon. If they don't want to do that, hey, we have a pond where we can go catch bass or whatever we want to throw in there, and just get them in tune with their loved ones again. That that's really what I want to do, and I want to do more stuff in the burn community and, and just continue to do what I do, man. And that's. That's honestly what my goals are, and and start a family, and in the midst of all that, little crispies, yeah, yeah, little crispies, man. Oh, Maybe we drop them off at Matt's house. <laughs> the most important question I was just gonna say: Do I get to be Uncle Matt? Oh, for sure. For yeah, sure. what an honor! What an honor! What's the Uncle Matt? What's your strategy with with crispies? Uh, not yet existing children. Like you're gonna spoil <laughs> them? You're gonna give them? <laughs> like what? Well, I'm a great I, uncle, man. Because I, I don't want kids, so I, I just I spoil them. You know, take them to the river. I'll swim with the kids, and the second they like poop or cry, I give them back to the parents. That's that's, that's not <laughs> uncle duty. Okay, that's parental. <laughs> well, you guys gotta um, you gotta come to Montana, number one, and we'll chase around some big elk. Uh, come on, public lands um, at the very least. Or I gotta come down. I I need to kill some kill an axis deer, dude. I'm out of axis deer meat, and I had a a hunt scheduled right during quarantine. I had to cancel it. So I got to get my ass back down there. Plan a hunt with you and me and Crispy. We'll, we'll take you access hunting. We got a lot out here, man. We'd love to take you. I'd love to host you. I'd love to come. I'd love to come. Let me just say, you know, we'll, we'll close on some other things, but I just want to say this, both you guys, I know that you have, you know, big followings and you've done a lot in your lives, but like to hear you talk about very difficult, um, issues, very polarizing things. And even things like social media and the way that you do, I know it sounds, I can, I, I talk to a lot of people 
um, on this show. And I can tell you guys live the shit that you're saying. And like, there's no, there's not an inkling of doubt that what you're doing is the right thing for you. So just want to say that comes through both of you. So thank you. I, uh, Let's plan our hunt. Like, when, when are we going to do this thing? It's too hot down there right now. There's too many rattlers down there right now. Uh, yeah, but right now it's perfect season to come hunt axes. That's you true. know this. It's the rut, son. You, it's the rut, son. Ah, it's I the rut, son. And let's, let's, let's not forget that uh, axes are exotics. So, you know, we can use uh, night vision if we wanted to. Dude, I got, some, I got some night vision I can bring. Um, I, I got thermos. Dude, they're the most delicious. Yeah, that's the one thing I miss about living in Texas. It's like of, of the many things. Turkeys too, man. Yeah, I move out closer to 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 Benny, and then he leaves. I was like, all right, dude, I get it. I <laughs> I only did that so you had like a northern place to go, man. Like, <laughs> I only did that so you had a place to hunt elk. Although you can hunt elk, or you can hunt just about anything in Texas if you look in the mm. right spots. Oh yeah, for sure. So yeah, the the Axis rut is going. I guess it's yeah, first week of June, man. Axis rut is yep. flowing. I'm going uh, on Wednesday. Yep, and depending on uh, that, I think Crispy and I, um, I'd love to treat Crispy to it, but we're gonna go if we're still up for it, Crispy to go up to record and uh, shoot an elk because I want the meat, and we'll go bow hunt. Let's go. I think August, right? Is the rut August? Yeah. Yeah. Joe's yep, telling me. Joe's telling me he wants to go. I don't know, man. You got to Google mm, better. You got to Google. Yeah. You got to Google better to earn your time. <laughs> See, that's just gotta, you got to motivate the people around you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Putting them down. No, we love you, Joe. We love you. But, um, well, boys, I really appreciate it, man. I won't take up any much more of your time. Um, thanks for everything. Again, thanks for just freaking being who you are and um, talking to us. And I will hopefully – no, not hopefully. I will see you in Texas. For sure. Perfect. Come on. All right, boys. And if, if y'all need any uh, coffee up there, man, just grab my number from Crispy and I'll uh, I'll get you guys squared away, man. Thanks for all you do. You guys put out some great content. So keep up the good work. Really appreciate it. Uh, it means, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. means a lot. You too, Crispy, man. I I, I want to come down and see you, see all the boys at Archery Country. Um, but I miss Austin. So, come on. I'm coming. Come on. Yeah. I'm uh, coming. I, would, I wouldn't say I miss Austin, but yeah. I'll well, meet you there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude. We'll see you later. Bye, later. That's it. That's all. Another episode in the books. Thanks to Charles Rodney. Thanks to Matt Best. Thanks to Omar Avila. Thanks to Phil the Engineer. Thanks to everybody that emails and listens to the show. This one kind of went everywhere, didn't it, Phil? Yeah, it's it's a long one, <laughs> but I think so, I, I think I think that's good. I mean, I, I I love that you're just you're covering the gamut. Yeah, yeah. Well, when we know when Charles gets in, he's gonna just go, and I'm not gonna stop him ever. <laughs> and nor does I think do I think anybody wants me to. And so we knew we knew we would get Charles in here, and we knew he would go and and give us a good perspective. Same thing. I'm gonna tell you again, man. The same thing with Matt and Omar. If you listen to these people. And you don't come out of this with a new perspective talking about not being a victim, talking about pushing forward, talking about doing positive things, talking about going out in the world and making a difference. You couldn't have put I, – I didn't plan it this way. I didn't put plan to put Omar, um, an immigrant from Mexico, Matt, a white guy from Texas, and, and Charles Rodney, a black guy from segregationist Louisiana – in the same podcast and think that they would be connecting their thoughts in some way. But if you listen back to this and you listen to these men, 
you will find that they're talking about essentially the same exact thing. And that's moving through the world in a positive way and watching that those waves wash over everyone around you. And so I'm inspired. I'm going to go do more and be better. Um, I hope you can take that away as well. If not, we'll try again next week with uh, Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf, who are working currently working on a book called Sacred Cow. That is talking about regenerative agriculture. We're talking about the way that we save the reputation of meat. It's a follow-up on our last conversation with Nick Holla from Impossible and Robbie Sansom from Force of Nature. So hopefully you stick around for us. Episode 130 coming at you next Tuesday. Say bye, Phil. Goodbye. Because I can't go a week without doing wrong. Oh, without doing You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.